You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. So good, so good. How was that? Kia ora whanau. How is everyone doing? Doing good? Awesome. It is great to be here. Thanks to Pastor Bex for having me. Pastor Steve, great to be here again, hanging out with you fellas on a Sunday morning, which is really cool. As you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure most of you know Pastor Steve and I just got back from uh, just a great trip to our partners in India and Sri Lanka, uh, which was fantastic. Uh, we haven't kind of been with them or seen them for, what, four or five years with all of the COVID fun we went through. So it was uh, an, a really important opportunity for us to reconnect with our partners on the ground over there and honestly to do a bit of an audit to see who uh, really is doing good work, um, who is still very much aligned with who we are and where we are going, and to see if, you know, maybe some things change sometimes, maybe there's some pruning and maybe some people are not quite going in the same direction we are, and just kind of carefully and gracefully working through that, because we take very seriously um, the fact that our job is to uh, take the, the, the finance that is so generously given across our campuses and make sure that it is being used for the highest kingdom impact it possibly can be. And it was, it was such, a, uh, such a, great tri- a, a great trip, it really was. Outstanding. Um, and you know, it's funny, right? Like, I, I don't know about you, I've, been, I've sat in the congregation before and, and watched a pastor get up and, you know, honor another pastor, and it's just like, ah, stop blowing smoke, you know? It's just, oh, my, embarrassing. But actually, when I was in worship, I really felt the Lord nudge me that, that actually I need to do this, because... We all see our leaders within a very singular context. And certainly for me, being away with Pastor Steve, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I have never, and I've been, on, I've been blessed to be a part of what we've done in Elam over many, many years internationally with our, our um, groups we were doing aid work with and mission work with. But I've never seen anybody connect so quickly and naturally cross-culturally as Pastor Steve does. It's just annoying. Um, <laughs> But you know what, we, we found ourselves in, in many situations with leaders and with, with groups of leaders. And uh, what I love was, Steve was like, we're not just going to do sessions, let's sit and have conversations. And we were, we were up in our training center in northern Sri Lanka that we've, we've built and we've been giving funds towards for some time. Man, it's hot as a camel's armpit up there. We're just like sweating the whole time. We're in this room without any air conditioning and we're there with 30 um, pastors from northern Sri Lanka and, and northern Sri Lanka only hasn't been that long out of civil war 2009 was when the civil war finished and now they've been through economic collapse and all sorts of challenges and so we just ask these 30 or so pastors what are you guys dealing with what's ministry really like up here how can we most effectively help and be a part of what you're doing and, and of the 30 I don't know maybe half stood up and we just sat there and listened through the translator for an hour as they just told us their tough stories the phenomenal amount of suicide they're dealing with amongst women in northern Sri Lanka. The huge amount of drugs that are coming across from India into that country. The, the breakdown in the, un, the upcoming generation, the youth, into churches and between their parents. Just heartbreaking stories. And, you know, you listen to that for an hour and it's like, where do you go with that? And, and I, honestly, look, I'm the guy who's always thinking, right? I'm always thinking, okay, what do we do next? And, and, how do we, and what do we have to do? And how do we respond to this and the whole thing? And, and time and time again, and particularly that moment was one that stuck out to me. Steve just stood up 
and just like there was just this Holy Spirit moment. He just stepped into it and just started bringing words of life, just encouragement. And it was like you could just see light begin to dawn in everyone's faces around the room in what was a very, very tough situation. But you know what? Faith comes from hearing the word. And that was what Steve did so brilliantly. And I just want to take a moment to honor the fact that this man, like if you could have seen him where I saw him, you'd understand why God chose him and put him in this place and why he is leading us. That's what I honor you, Stevie. You're a man of God and I love you and it's an honor to serve with you and, and uh, be with you. All right, team, let's jump into the word of God this morning. First Peter 2 verse 5, here we go. You like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. That's you, fellas. A spiritual house. Here it is. To be a holy priesthood. It's interesting. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're going to come back to that in a moment. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 7. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. Do you realize that actually Holy Spirit distributes them? He's like, ah, Adrian Daniel, what should we give him? I think, I think, he, I think we're going to give him these gifts. And then Raywin, Raywin opens, what should we give her? We're going to give her these. Like the Holy Spirit distributes gifts. That's important for us to realize. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but here it is. In all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Such an interesting thing, the manifestation of the Spirit. What does that even mean? Manifestation in the English is from the Latin manifestos, which means to clearly reveal. Do you understand what it's saying? What it's saying is, is that actually when you move in those spiritual gifts, that is how God begins to clearly reveal Himself to the people that you are with, people that you are interacting with people that you are in front of. That's the importance of the spiritual gifts. That's where and how God reveals himself to others in your world. It's through the spiritual gifts. It's not through you trying to copy someone else that you saw on the internet or someone else that you're in a small group with. It's actually through going, okay, what are my spiritual gifts? How do I do this? And you know what we've got to do? We've got to take that step of accepting whatever our spiritual gifts are. Like my spiritual gifts are encouragement, exhortation, teaching, and then leadership. And honestly, when I first kind of got that revelation, those are my spiritual gifts, you know what my response was? My response was, seriously? Well, we did, did you kind of run out of miracles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Miracles would have been awesome. Yeah. Even healing would have been awesome. Yeah. Were we just a little low on healing? Did I come along late? Like, did I miss the memo? Yeah. Like, encouragement? Seriously? You put me on this planet to go to people... You're awesome, mate. Like, really, God, is that the best that we had for me? Yet I have to say that when I actually started embracing that and realizing that that is how God reveals himself through me, I have seen the trajectory of more people's lives changed through the simple power of bringing courage and encouragement into their lives through anything else that I can imagine. It's interesting, right? Some people spend their whole lives wishing they had a set of gifts they don't have. And the problem with that is if you had them, it wouldn't work anyway because God distributed the gifts to you that you need for your call. And if you had someone else's gifts, it wouldn't work there anyway. 
It's interesting, there are only two people in the scriptures about which it is written, God did amazing miracles through them. And one of them is a guy called Stephen, who was an administrator, who spent his time organizing and delivering groceries to widows. And yet it says about him that God did amazing miracles through his life. I promise you, if you will just work out and embrace the spiritual gifts that God chose for you, and you will totally immerse yourself in that and allow God to reveal himself through that, God will do miracles through your life. That is the truth. My vocation is a pastor. That's that's my job. And I, I thought that was it. Like, I'm a pastor. That's a certain thing. That's a certain role. But some time ago, God showed me that actually our gift mixes mean that there are many sorts of pastors, many sorts of ministers. Not all pastors are the same. A pastor with a a high-ranking gift of apostleship will be an apostolic pastor. A pastor with a high-ranking gift of evangelism will be an evangelistic pastor. A pastor with a high-scoring gift of leadership will be a senior pastor or a pastor who grows a large and influential church will maybe maybe pastors a movement. And, And in each one, It will look a little differently, right? Each pastor will shepherd just a little bit differently. They'll grow churches slightly differently. They'll see results in slightly different areas. I have to say, this was a revelation to me because I thought that, that there was just one thing. There was a pastor that was the mold that I had to fit into. But it turns out that that's not true at all, that there are many types of pastors. Now, this is unbelievably important for us to realize because it applies exactly the same to every vocation. To your vocation, exactly the same. If you are a professional, or you work in a shop, or you are a manager, or you run or own a business, you need to understand that not all managers are the same. Not all professionals, even within the same profession, are the same, depending on your unique gifting, right? You will have areas of strength, or speciality that God anoints you in that enables you to do certain things particularly well and through which God will reveal himself. If you, for example, work in a shop or you're a manager or own a business, whatever, and you have a gift of evangelism, you are a sales or recruitment manager, or you should be. Because you have an ability to win people, to convince people, to get people to see it from your way. That is so powerful. And if you will do that along the way, you're going to win some of them for Jesus as well. If you work in, a, in an environment or you're a manager or a business and you have a high-scoring gift of teaching, you are a teaching or a training manager, or you should be, because you have an inbuilt ability to take complex things, to deconstruct them down, and then teach them to others in a way they can understand and then go and put into practice. And by the way, you should probably be teaching growth track as well and helping out with their dream team training. If you work in a shop or a professional, you're a manager and you have a high scoring gift of apostleship, you should be involved in franchising or starting new businesses or certainly within church, starting new small groups or helping with church plants. That's what you should be doing. I mean, do you see how it works? Our giftings create specialities within whatever it is that we do that God has anointed us to see great influence and value in. Now, my wife Liz My wife Liz's top two giftings are faith and encouragement, which is really useful, right? Because I don't have much faith. It's not one of my top giftings. I can believe that I'm saved. Yeah, it's kind of about it. Uh, But but Liz is like really positive and she knows God can do great things and she believes God's for us and that kind of thing, which is probably why God put her with me, at least in part. Now, 
when we had small children and I was a pastor, Liz had finished up her roles uh, as lecturer at uh, local polytech and she had a small business as a training assessor and uh, she found herself as a stay-at-home mum. Um, but she had these giftings, right? She had these things in her life that meant she had a speciality, faith and encouragement. But the problem was, was that over time, as she stepped out of the marketplace, she found herself at home just wondering, God, what is my purpose? What am, what am I doing here? And it became more and more challenging and frustrating for her. And then she realized that she was part of a community, and it was a community that came together twice a day at the school gate. It was all the young mums who would gather there in the morning dropping their kids off, and then it was all the young mums at three o'clock there picking all their kids up. And so Lizzie announced to me one day that she had decided to be the school gate pastor. Now, she didn't tell anyone but me. She didn't get a little name badge printed and you know, rock up with a little name badge. She just, every morning and every afternoon, she went to the school gate, determined to bring encouragement and faith to people and just see what God would do. And look, honestly, I don't think there was a week that went by when she didn't have some opportunity to minister, to encourage somebody, to bring faith. She had mums almost every day who would come up to her and burst into tears or come up to her and call her and just pour out their life stories. There was one mum that was caught in an affair and was, man, she was ostracized by the community of young mums in this, uh, in this community we were a part of. And Liz just would journey with her. And when they turn up there at school, Liz would link arms with her as they walked the gauntlet to take kids to the, to the classroom past all these mums who would just make her the most horrific comments about her. And Liz just decided to walk with her through that time. I tell you what, over that time, Liz had more ministry and more stories from what happened at the school gate than I did working full-time at the church. It was unbelievably annoying. So let me ask you, what has God called you to do? Let me jump into Revelation just for a moment, chapter 1, verses 4 to 6. It's a fascinating passage. I want you to hear this. The Apostle John speaking. He says, John, to the, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Problem number one, we know that there was more, more than seven churches in Asia. But it goes on. To the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who was and, sorry, from him who is and who was and who is to come, the eternal God, and from the seven spirits before his throne. Now, it's interesting, right? We get seven and seven. Now, seven is a number of fullness. It's the number of completeness. So we understand in terms of biblical interpretation that what it's talking about is not just about seven churches or like seven spirits, but it's talking about the fullness of all of the churches in Asia at that time, the known world. It's talking about all of the churches and the seven spirits. It actually references a prophetic word from Isaiah, which talks about these seven aspects of the Holy Spirit. So he's talking about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Let me keep reading. And from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, here it is, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. What is the Lord saying in this passage? Let me break this down. In summary, it's, what, what, what he's saying is it's kind of like, from all of us, like all of the Godhead, the Father, the fullness and completeness of the Holy Spirit, from Jesus Christ, from all of us, 
to all of you, the fullness of the church as it currently exists, every one of you that is a part of it, right? from all of us to all of you, here's what we want you to get above all else. You are a kingdom of priests. That's what he's saying. God made you a priest. Now you're like, no, he didn't. I'm like, yeah, he did. Yes, you are. You're like, Man, don't like priests wear funny clothes and stuff? Did you check yourself in the mirror before you came out this morning? <laughs> well, and some of you are going to go, well, what about the word pastor? Well, aren't we meant to, you know, isn't that more relevant? Well, the word pastor was chosen because as the Gentiles began to come into the church, the, the early church had to find another word because the priest was too tied both into Judaism and into the, the religions that surrounded them at the time, which all had their high priests. And so they needed to find a word that would talk about the leadership of God's people that more closely represented what Jesus did in his humble way, walking with the disciples, meeting people where they, where they were at. And so the word shepherd was the most relevant word. But let us not make the mistake of thinking that the word priest still wasn't unbelievably important, particularly to the Jewish believers. And what God says to all of the Jewish believers and to the Gentile believers is that actually in the model of the Old Testament, I have called you now to be priests. Not just a handful of you, not just a few, but actually you are now a kingdom of priests. I have called you to be a priest. And here's the cool thing. There are many kinds of priests, right? What is a priest? Well, the word refers to this Old Testament calling to be the connector of God with people. The heart of it, that's what the priest was there to do, to be the connector between God and people. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why even more than having more pastors at church, we need more priests at work. Let me say it again. Even more than having more pastors at church. We need more priests at work. First Peter 2 verse 9. But you, you are a chosen people. Here it is, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Ladies and gentlemen, you are a priest and you are called to connect people with God. So three things we need to do really quickly for those of us who love three points, which happens to be me. Um, number one, you've got to know your gifts. Like you literally cannot go through a Christian life and not know how God has gifted you spiritually because that's the primary way that God is going to reveal himself through you to others. So you've got to know. So if you don't know what your top three gifts are right now, you need to go and sign up at Growth Track because we do that in Growth Track. We do some online stuff there, which will really help you. If, if you've done that and forgotten, go find your notes. If you don't want to do that, get together with your small group or a bunch of mates and open up Romans 12 and open up Romans, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 12 and say, which of these do you think I'm good at? Like, where do you see God moving through, through me in these things? But however you do it, you've got to know it. You just got to know it. Secondly, and here's the important one, Take your gifts to work. 
because it's your gifts that bring you an edge in your vocation because that's where God's anointing is on you. And that's what makes you a specialist and that is where you bring unique value because you need a strategy within whatever it is you are doing that matches your giftings. Let me use a cricket analogy to illustrate, even though we didn't make it through the semis. Um, A spin bowler has a different gift to a pace bowler. And so so a spin bowler, therefore, has to have a different strategy to a pace bowler. And if a pace bowler tries to bowl with the same strategy a spin bowler uses, it kind of negates his gift. It won't work in the same way. Likewise, for you, you have to have a strategy that matches your gift. And that is what makes you particularly influential in the place that God has used you. And then here's the third thing. In that space, with that gifting, with a strategy that matches your gifts, be a connector between God and people. As God gives you opportunity with grace and with kindness, but do it. Let me ask you today, do you pray for your workmates? Do you pray for your boss? Do you pray for your employees? Do you ask God for breakthrough in their lives, in the market that your business operates in? Are you asking God to intervene and show his love in team members that are going through a tough time? For the one or two maybe who are ready, have you invited them to a small group or an international Sunday or something like that that we put on for that express purpose? You see, you are in your workplace absolutely to be successful and to enjoy making progress and to be brilliantly good at what you do. But most importantly, you are called there to be a priest, ladies and gentlemen. Let me share a little history with you. Many years ago, post-World War II, a large denomination in France realized that there was a growing gap in society between the church and the majority of the workforce. They realized it was due to the long-term decline in Christianity across Europe that had been going on for decades and decades. But they realized it was most impacting the workers. So a couple of church leaders came up with a daring social experiment, they called it, to reach this huge segment of society. The idea was to have what they called worker priests, regular priests, but not employed by the church. They went out and worked in regular jobs, in factories, in shops, in businesses, as regular workers, but with a mission to be a priest to the people who lived and worked there. For over 20 years, these men and women went to work and made a monstrous impact for the Lord, caring for those who were struggling, impressing people by their willingness to love them and stand alongside them in their difficulties and injustices. At its peak, across three major cities, there were a thousand priests working in the marketplace alongside the, uh, the unchurched. And these worker priests inspired many, many people as the stories began to come out. And they were the subject of several books. The most popular one was called Saints in Hell. It was a fictional account of a worker priest's trials and tribulations in a working class district 
of a city based, of course, on true stories. This priest encounters every kind of human misery, babies and young children being fatally attacked in their beds by rats, women seeking abortions rather than give birth to another hopeless existence, men racked with alcoholism and hunger and deep bitterness and resentment, violence and suicide spreading through these communities. And yet, the story tells of this worker priest coming home from work in the evenings, invigorated by the thought of being capable of offering assistance to members of his chosen community for the glory of God. This is our call. We too are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. We'll get the team up now as we come to a close. Time magazine wrote about this. They call this worker priest movement one of the century's most exciting and debated religious experiments. The New York Times reported on it, that these worker priests were widely credited with contributing to the most important psychological shift in a generation, turning the hearts and minds of people back towards the church rather than seeing them continue to drift away from the church. See, here's this thing. When you and I become worker priests, as the scriptures have always said we are called to be, God begins to influence society back towards himself, back towards the church and towards faith in Jesus Christ. I remember when Lizzie first told me about this woman who had had an affair on her husband. We actually knew them from years earlier. They, when they first moved to the city, they happened to move next to us. And within just a few moments, uh, sorry, a few months, um, they, they lost a baby. The baby died. They were devastated. They were miles and miles away from family. Uh, and so we kind of stepped in. I did the funeral for their baby. And then we lost contact over a few years. And, and then as our kids grew up, we ended up being again in the same small school community. And our kids and their kids were going to the same school together. And then this thing happened. Man, I tell you what, the school community was vitriolic against her. I mean, man, it was just tough. And Liz would tell me about how this woman would just kind of be at the school gate, not wanting to walk her kids to class because of the things that these groups of mothers would spit out at her. And so, like I said, Liz would just link her arm through hers, put a smile on her face, say to her, get your head up, let's go. And they would just march on through the school. Liz would chitter-chatter to her so she wouldn't hear what the mums were saying. And just decided day in and day out just to be there and to walk with her and to help her. A couple of months later, we're doing fish and chips at their home while their kids and our kids are playing together. And we were chatting through the difficulties of marriage and how they were trying to find a way forward. He was so hurt by what had happened. She was so ashamed of what she had done. It was a tough scenario. And then as we chatted, the husband asked, he said, how about you guys? You guys seem to have a good marriage. How do you keep it together? So we replied, well, you know, to be honest, church is a huge part of it. God has been the anchor and the rock for us through it all. And so we just threw it out there. Hey, why don't you guys come along to church sometime? See if there's anything there for you. Well, to our 
monstrous surprise the very next Sunday. They turned up. We invited them to sit on the front row with us, and I'll never forget it. We had a missions speaker that Sunday. And for some utterly bizarre reason, that speaker spent the entire second half of their message talking all about the administration of the finances of their particular mission work, how they broke it down, how they took the administration fee out of it, the whole thing. And I, by the end of the message, I'm literally sitting there on the front row with my head in my hands going, oh, Jesus, how am I going to save this? How am I going to save this? And then, and then they finished, and our MC got up, and I did what some of us have done from time to time, which is I turned to look at my guests to say those wonderful words, it's not normally like this. <laughs> and as I turned to say, it's not normally like this, to my astonishment, they were both sitting there, utterly transfixed with tears pouring down their faces. And the husband turned to me and he said, that was the most incredible message I have ever heard in my life. And I'm just going, part in the Red Sea was awesome, but that was better. I have no idea how you did that, Lord, but I don't know what you were downloading to them, but it sure as heck wasn't what that guy was saying. That was a miracle, ladies and gentlemen. I am promising you that. One week later, over our, over our kitchen breakfast bar, uh, Lizzie led the wife to faith in Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And a week later, the husband gave his life to the Lord as well. And they're both still together and going strong now. How did that happen? It happened because Lizzie decided to be a priest at work, to be a pastor at the school gate, a worker priest, to be with the people in her community, to get alongside them, bringing her giftings of faith and encouragement. She wasn't trying to be an evangelist. She wasn't trying to teach biblical concepts. She knew how God had gifted her. And she just brought encouragement. She just brought faith. And God did something amazing through her. Let me ask you this morning, will you embrace your call, ladies and gentlemen, to be a worker priest being with and walking alongside the people in the space that you are in, bringing your unique spiritual giftings that God's grace might be revealed to them. Look, I, I really believe the Holy Spirit is talking to some people this morning. I really do. And I want to say, if you're sitting here and you're just like, this is, man, this is really speaking to you, do not discount this. I believe the call of God is coming to some people here. And I believe some people here have kind of been thinking for some time, you know, maybe I need to get out of the marketplace. I really feel God's calling me to something. Maybe I need to become a pastor in the church. Maybe that's what I need to do. But I want to say to you, there's one problem. And the problem with that is, you know, you in the marketplace, what you do, the problem is, all pride aside, you are so flipping good. And God wants you to stay right where you are, but decide to bring your gifts to that and be a priest exactly where you are because you make a difference in that place. Let me ask you, will you find out your giftings? Will you work out what your speciality is, that little mix of giftings that you bring to what you are? And will you make the decision to be a priest in your workplace, in the place that God has placed you? Look, is it possible that God could shift a generation 
here with us like he did in France 80 years ago? I absolutely believe it is. And it is time for us to understand and embrace the call of God to be out there as his priests in our generation. God changed the face of a nation with just a thousand people. Man, we have four or five times that just in our campuses alone. If just a quarter of us decided to go, okay, that's me, I'm going to own that. God can do great things, amen? Well, let's pray. Mighty God, I thank you, Lord. God, for your genius. Lord, for giving me and giving every one of us, God, unique gift mix that fits us and fits our call. Mighty God, I pray in Jesus' name. Have every one of us here, God, that we will step up, God, that we will commit, that we will own that, that we will go to work tomorrow, God, and we will see with different eyes what you have called us to do and to be. And you want to make a difference in the place where you have called us. In Jesus' name, amen. Look, lastly, some of us are here and we're just not right with God. Some of us have never taken that step of inviting Christ into our lives and truly handing it over. Some of us maybe have, but we're drifting. I want to say to you, if you're not right with God, I want to talk to you just for a moment. The Bible says in John 3, 16, that for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, it doesn't say that God so loved the Christians. He so loves you and me and all of us. But the problem is, is that in Romans 3, it says we've all fallen short of God's glory, of God's standard. And it's a sin that keeps us separated from knowing God and experiencing His love and plan for our lives. And that is why Jesus came 2,000 years ago, died on a Roman cross in our place, that we might be forgiven because He paid for our sin, that we might be made new, that our past might no longer dictate our future. In John chapter 1, it says, To all those who simply received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Is that you this morning? Is it time for you to come home, to get right with God, to know His forgiveness? If that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer. Just wherever you're sitting, you just pray this between you and the Lord. I prayed this prayer when I was 22 years old in a gas station in Manukau Road at 3 a.m. in the morning. Changed my life forever. If that's you, I invite you to pray with me. Here we go. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you want me to know you and experience you. But I admit that I am a sinner and my sin keeps me separated from knowing you. I choose to believe this morning, Jesus, that you died on that cross for me. And that I am forgiven today. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will fill me. That you will make me new. Jesus, that you will be my Lord and my God and my Savior. I commit myself to you from this day forward. Thank you for making me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I'm going to ask everyone just to close your eyes and bow their heads just for one more moment. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I would count it the hugest privilege to, to pray for you. I'm not going to call you out or bring you up. I don't want to embarrass you, but I do want you to take a small step of faith, and that's this. In just a moment, I'm going to ask 
you, if you prayed that prayer just for where you're sitting, just put your hand up in the air, give me your wave so I can see it and pull your hand back down. I'll acknowledge it. I just want to be able to pray for you. So if that's you, if you're like, yeah, Mike, would you include me in that prayer? Then right now, would you lift your hand up, give me a wave like this, say, yeah, Mike, that was me. If you prayed that prayer this morning, if you got right with God today, give me a wave right now and say, yeah, Mike, that was me. And I would just love to include you in that prayer. Anybody? Just looking across there, let me see your hand. God bless you, girl. Amazing. Wonderful. Praise God. Anybody else? God bless you, girl. That's amazing. God bless you. Wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. You can put your hands down. God bless you, bro. Amazing. God bless you, man. Spectacular. That is amazing. Come on. Let's pray. Mighty God, I thank you, Lord, for every person, Lord, who made a decision today. A decision for their future, God. A decision to welcome you into their heart at the core. A decision to reorient their lives. Mighty God, I pray you bless them. Surround them with your angels. God, I pray that you will teach them how to walk Jesus like you walked. I pray you'll bless them and surprise them with your goodness. I ask you to protect them and watch over them. God, I commit them into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, just give me a hand this morning. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.